Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Today's episode continues our multi-part series on the Ozarks. Sure, you think you know about the Ozarks, the home of Branson, the Bald Numbers, and the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Well, in this series, we'll talk about the Ozarks, a region covering roughly half of Missouri as a cultural identity, as well as a physical place. So, come along for a trip to the Ozarks. In 1913, the Women's Christian Temperance Union donated a life-size marble bust of Clara C. Hoffman to the University of Missouri to reside in its new academic library, now known as Ellis Library. However, by the time that Blanche Butts Runyon wrote her history of the Missouri WCTU in 1957, she noted Hoffman's bust had come into the possession of the State Historical Society of Missouri. It was at the Historical Society's former home, Ellis Library, that an intrepid group of students, yours truly included, came in search of the bust in 2015 after learning of its origins. It remains in the Historical Society's art collection today, though not on display, and was recently moved, along with the roughly 30,000 other pieces of art, from Ellis Library to the Center for Missouri Studies. Now, you are probably asking yourself, how does a marble bust located in Columbia relate to the Ozarks? Well, the principal supporter behind the bust was Kate Franklin Newton. While not a native Missourian, she spent the majority of her life in southwest Missouri. When she died in 1945 at the age of 95, she had been a resident of Carthage for nearly half of her life. From the moment that Kate Franklin Newton stepped foot in Missouri, she became actively involved in local and state matters, particularly reform movements connected with the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or WCTU for short. The lives of Claire Hoffman and Kate Newton are closely intertwined. Both were born in New York before the Civil War, both lived briefly in Illinois before moving to Missouri, both were school teachers, and both served as president of the Missouri WCTU. So it is rather fitting that Kate Newton, from Carthage, would be the one to commission the bust of Claire Hoffman for Columbia. Taken together, the lives of these two women also reveal quite a bit about the temperance movement in Missouri, especially in the Ozarks. Along the way, we will also learn how the bust of Claire Hoffman traveled from St. Louis to Italy to the University of Missouri and finally to the State Historical Society of Missouri. But first, what was the Women's Christian Temperance Union? Emerging from the Ohio Temperance Crusades of the 1870s, the Women's Christian Temperance Union quickly established branches or unions throughout the United States and the world by the end of the 19th century. In Missouri, the WCTU first organized in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal around 1882 before eventually spreading into most of the counties of the state. While it has often been assumed that the T of the acronym WCTU was the sole concern of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the organization was deeply involved in a wide range of reform movements throughout the late 19th and early to mid-20th centuries. Championing the ideals of home protection, temperance, and women's rights, the organization, led by Frances Willard, incorporated a do-everything policy that promoted reform through moral suasion and political activism, including programs aimed at child welfare, suffrage, working conditions, maternal health care, censorship, and minimum wage laws, to name only a few examples. Seeking to agitate, educate, legislate, the WCTU under Willard reminded its members that their work was done for, quote, God and home and native land. This was the organization that Kate Newton, as well as her sister Suffragette and fellow white ribboner Clara Hoffman joined in the late 19th century. Born on November 17, 1850 to Daniel and Anir Franklin, Kate Franklin Newton spent her early years in central New York. 
Little is known about her life prior to arriving in Missouri, except for some time spent as a teacher in Lee Center, Illinois, where she eventually married Edwin Wilder Newton. Edwin's career in real estate and mining brought the family to the Ozarks by the late 19th century. They lived for a time in Bolivar and Polk County before eventually moving to Carthage in 1898. From the moment she arrived in the Ozarks, Kate Newton became deeply involved in local affairs. As early as 1891, newspapers reported on her work with the WCTU, and that same year she was elected recording secretary of the organization and became part of Missouri WCTU's executive committee alongside several notable women, including State President Clara C. Hoffman. Though she held the official title of recording secretary for the remainder of the 1890s, Newton's role within the WCTU at the close of the 19th century was much more complex. She was required to participate in conventions and serve on the executive committee, yet she also served as the department superintendent of unfermented wine in 1893 and 1894, the department superintendent for the press in 1896 and 1897, president of the Bolivar Union from 1893 to 1895, and secretary for the 24th district, which included Cedar, Dade, Christian, Green, and Polk counties from 1896 to 1898. In addition to all of this work, she was also an ardent supporter of the goals championed by the organization. Speaking to the fellow members at the 1892 convention in Springfield, Newton reminded them that, quote, the WCTU has but one motive for existence, home protection. It always has been and is the thing for which we contend. We did not work long before we found that to accomplish our object, we must step outside the sphere that public opinion had created for women, where she was not supposed to do anything more aggressive than a certain amount of silent womanly weeping and praying. So praying more and weeping less, we stepped boldly out from the little sphere men had defined for us into the one God had ordained should be ours. When the Newtons moved to Carthage, Kate remained in her position as recording secretary for the WCTU until 1900, but she scaled back her responsibility to primarily local concerns. Yet, after being elected as president of the Jasper County Unions, one of the most populous unions in Missouri, her profile in the statewide organization rose once more. In 1907, she was elected as correspondent secretary of the Missouri WCTU, and two years later, in 1909, Newton was named president of the organization at the state convention in Carthage. As President Newton encountered the same struggles as her predecessor, Clara Hoffman, blocked in the state legislature by anti-prohibition supporters, she was, however, successful in getting June 20th named as statewide prohibition flag day. She also called for local option elections as the best way to slowly turn the tide towards a constitutional amendment on prohibition. Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego. Are you an educator who is interested in developing a National History Day program at your school or using Missouri's primary sources in your classroom? The State Historical Society of Missouri is participating in several educator workshops in October that will provide tips on exhibits, performances, programming, and finding effective resources within the Historical Society's vast collections. National History Day workshops will be held at Webster Hall on the campus of Missouri Southern State University on October 17th and at the Curtis Laws Wilson Library on the Missouri S&T campus in Rolla on October 18th. For registration information, please visit shsmo.org events. On October 25th, Columbia will be host to a spectacular affair known as Halloweeny in the District. Come trick-or-treat in the district and be sure to stop by the Center for Missouri Studies along the way as the State Historical Society will have fun activities and candy for children and their families. Be sure to wear your costume. The 62nd Annual Missouri Conference on History, hosted by Lindenwood University and sponsored by the State Historical Society of Missouri, will be held March 11th through the 13th, 2020, at the Double Tree by Hilton Hotel in Chesterfield. Paper, panel, and student poster proposals in all fields of history, including public history and historic preservation, are invited. The conference is particularly interested in proposals for complete sessions, including panelist, chair, and commentator. 
All proposals should be submitted no later than November 1, 2019. For more information about the Missouri Conference on History, please visit shsmo.org mch. Start networking with other history professionals now on social media by using hashtag mch2020. A few years into her presidency, Kate Newton was still dealing with the specter of Clara Hoffman that hung over the organization. Since Hoffman's death in 1908, the WCTU grappled with how best to honor her memory and promote the goals she had set forth during her leadership. At an executive committee meeting in 1911, members debated what type of lasting monument would be erected in Hoffman's memory. Lena Alexander from Independence offered a compromise solution, a life-size marble bust. After the committee deliberated, the suggestion was approved, and St. Louis sculptor George Zolnay given the task of memorializing Hoffman in marble. To understand why the Missouri WCTU felt so strongly about commissioning a bust to Clara Hoffman, we must first examine her life and work within the organization. Clara Hoffman was born Clara Cleghorn on January 18, 1831, to Humphrey and Olive Burnham Cleghorn. Growing up in northern New York along the Canadian border near the town of Ogdensburg, Clara spent much of her early life on the family farm. She attended schools in New York and Massachusetts before moving to the Mississippi River town of Keokuk, Iowa. Her time in Iowa was brief, however, and she eventually moved down the Mississippi River to Columbia, Illinois, near St. Louis, to teach at a local school. While in Columbia, she met Goswin Hoffman, a local physician. They married in 1862, and two sons, Harry and Guy, soon followed. While the boys were still quite young, the Hoffmans moved to Warrensburg, Missouri, before eventually settling in Kansas City, where for 12 years Clara taught and served as principal at Lathrop Public School. Around 1882, Clara left the schoolhouse in favor of a position with the WCTU. This position was a surprisingly large step for Clara as she moved from the school principal to one of the vice presidents of the entire organization in Missouri. By the time of the organization's second convention a year later, Hoffman had been elected president. During her first term as president, roughly 1882 to 1901, the WCTU campaigned unsuccessfully to have the state legislature enact a prohibition amendment to the Constitution. While the state did not support the amendment, the WCTU did convince legislatures to consider the matter as well as bills on universal suffrage and compulsory education. Additionally, the state passed laws regulating saloons, making it a felony to visit an opium den, and authorizing expanded temperance instruction. Hoffman even called upon organizational members to oppose lynching and remember the plight of women of color. Quote, we have condemned and most rightly to the lynching of blacks in the South, Hoffman told attendees of the 1900 state convention. We are forced to condemn the same in the North. It is said that no white woman in the South is safe from the assaults of black men. For more than 200 years, no black woman in the South was safe from the assaults of white men. Within and there lighted the scorching, consuming fires of lust, before which they now stand appalled. Hoffman's rise to the national organization mirrored her quick assumption of the top office in Missouri. For 12 of the 25 years she was affiliated with the WCTU, Clara served as the National Recording Secretary. In this role, she worked closely with the WCTU's beloved leader, Francis Willard, as well as Willard's successor, Lillian M. N. Stevens, to grow the organization across the globe. Not surprisingly, Clara was chosen as a lecturer for WCTU events throughout the United States. This message of temperance and reform also took her across the Atlantic Ocean to Europe, where in 1895 she was appointed as a delegate to the World's Convention of the WCTU in London. Following those festivities, she completed a lecture tour through Great Britain, France, Switzerland, and Germany. Her time on the lecture circuit and in close correspondence with high-ranking officials in the WCTU earned Clara the companionship of several prominent reformers of her day, including Susan B. Anthony, Mary T. Lathrop, and Lady Isabel Somerset. Having traveled the world in the name of temperance, the only thing slowing down Clara Hoffman was her own body. Years both inside and outside of Missouri's borders as a traveling lecturer had worn her down, and by the turn of the 20th century, she wondered how much longer before her health declined. In 1900, to the surprise of many of her fellow WCTU members, she did not seek re-election as president, 
Instead, she stepped aside to allow Bell C. Kimball, HWCTU official from Kirkwood, to serve as president. However, her time away from the presidency was short. In 1903, she petitioned for re-election as president and won. Her second term as Missouri's president was just as busy as her first, but it did not last as long. However, it was arguably more successful. Building upon other progressive era reform movements, the WCTU and Hoffman's second term helped lobby the legislature on behalf of regulations on alcohol, illegal drugs, child labor, and food. All these bills passed in some form, including absorption into the larger pure food law. Yet despite pushing for expanded local option laws concerning dry communities and counties, in addition to a temperance amendment, the legislature still did not back statewide prohibition. Though she never saw full enfranchisement or prohibition, Hoffman worked for the cause of temperance and women's rights until the very end. Contemporaries noted that even as she was confined more and more to her home at the end of her life, she still actively engaged with the WCTU from the desk in her home office. In fact, it has been claimed that she worked at this desk for several hours on the date of her death until retiring to her bed to take her final breaths. She passed away on February 13, 1908, at the age of 77. From the moment of her death, the Missouri WCTU worked to closely tie Hoffman's life and legacy to the larger suffrage and prohibition movements. But perhaps nothing rivaled the memorials dedicated to Clara Hoffman like the marble bust that the executive committee approved in 1911. Designed by the sculptor George Zolnay, the bust was molded in his St. Louis studio before being completed in Italy. The Italian marble memorial was slated to return to the United States in 1912 for dedication, but the discovery of a crack pushed back the arrival date. In the meantime, the WCTU went to work raising money to cover the bus's cost. Estimates placed the total around $1,200, or roughly $33,000 in 2019 money. From the pages of the Missouri Counselor, the state's WCTU newspaper, Kate Newton rallied members to the fundraising drive. She also used the newspaper's editorial page to keep members up to date on the bus completion. The dedication, as Newton told readers, would be at the University of Missouri in Columbia. The 31st Annual Convention of the Missouri WCTU opened on September 30, 1913. While the day-to-day proceedings of the meetings, lectures, and events drew wild attention in the press, most articles on the festivities focused on the Hoffman bust. Recounting Hoffman's life, the Columbia Evening Missourian said that she, quote, was the cause of the temperance movement west of the Mississippi what Francis Willard was to the movement in the east. In the lead-up to the convention, there was some last-minute jostling over the bus's final home. Initially, Newton wanted it to reside in the new Missouri State Capitol building, which was under construction following a fire in 1911. When this proposal gained little leverage, the WCTU decided to keep it at the University of Missouri as, quote, an inspiration to the young manhood and womanhood of the state. Just before the convention opened, one more location, Kansas City's Lathrop School, where Hoffman had taught prior to joining the WCTU, made an unsuccessful bid for the bust. By the time it arrived in Columbia, there was little doubt about its final resting place. On October 2, 1913, the moment of dedication finally arrived, and Kate Newton was nowhere to be seen. Unable to attend the convention due to illness, she nevertheless sent her regards on the auspicious occasion. In her place, Nell G. Berger gave a rousing address that celebrated Hoffman as a key figure in building the organization into what it was at the time. Other dignitaries included Anna Sneed Carnes, president of the St. Louis Forest Park University, William M. N. Stevens, WCTU president, and Anna Gordon, former president of the WCTU, spoke of Hoffman's tireless effort to improve the lives of all Missourians. George Zolnay, gazing upon the completed bus, said that it, quote, brought an inspiration to my life that no other work has ever brought. Having succeeded in commissioning the bust of Clara Hoffman, Kate Newton opted to retire from the presidency in 1913, citing home duties related to the care of her mother as the primary reason. While our time as president was short, Newton saw extensive growth of the organization. 
1913, the Missouri WCTU reported that it had over 9,000 members. 685 of that total, or roughly 7%, came from Newton's home county of Jasper. Additionally, while it had not succeeded in convincing the legislature to pass a prohibition amendment, the organization did note that by 1914, 80% of Missouri counties had gone dry. This included a vast majority of the Ozarks. For the remainder of her life, Newton stayed active in the WCTU, but never again ascended to high office. Her successor, Nell G. Berger, took the reins of the organization and steered it through the successful passage of the 18th and 19th Amendments, and ultimately, the repeal of Prohibition through the 21st Amendment. When Newton died in 1945, a Carthage newspaper reflected fondly on her reform work and referred to her as, quote, a leader in the fight that put rural Jasper County in the dry column. If Kate Newton worked so hard to ensure that Clara Hoffman's bust would find a home in either the state capitol or on the University of Missouri campus, how then did it end up at the State Historical Society of Missouri? As has been mentioned previously, the WCTU dedicated the bust in Academic Hall on campus in 1913. Now known as Jesse Hall, this building held the bust until the construction of the University Library, now Ellis Library, in 1915. That same year, the State Historical Society of Missouri moved into new offices in the library with a reading room on the main floor. In his 1918 book, Missouri's Hall of Fame, Lives of Eminent Missourians, Floyd Shoemaker noted that the marble bust resided in the Historical Society's reading room. The bust apparently stayed in this location as a 1925 article in the Missouri Historical Review by Sarah Guitar was a similar home. With these earlier accounts of its location, it's not surprising then that Blanche Butts Runyon identified the Historical Society as the bust's home in her 1957 book. So, for more than a century, Clara Hoffman has kept a watchful eye over the day-to-day operations of the State Historical Society of Missouri. Frances Willard and many WCTU members who admired her referred to Hoffman as Missouri's, quote, great heart. And so, it is fitting that as the Historical Society's mission of preserving and promoting the history of the state has moved to a new location at the Center for Missouri Studies, the Marble Memorial to Clara Hoffman has relocated as well. The bus may not be currently on display in the new Guitar Family Galleries, but here's hoping that Clara Hoffman will watch over her new home for at least the next 100 years. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, I'm your host, Sean Rost. The show's producer is Brian Austin. The opening and concluding credits are narrated by Kevin Walsh. This episode was researched by Sean Rost and Sidney Smith and written by Sean Rost. If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our Missouri, please check out the State Historical Society of Missouri's website at shsmo.org. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.